Are you looking to become a leader in clean energy and an expert in clean tech? Do you hope to get noticed in the crowd as you pursue a career in this fastly growing industry? You are in the right place. Join Karan Takar as he invites clean energy leaders to share industry developments, highlight clean tech investment opportunities, and shed light on how you can increase your chances of employment in this high growth sector. We will also discuss the energy transition across key emerging markets like India and explore partnership opportunities for the U.S. private and public sector. After all, this is the Zenergy Podcast. Hey, Gabe, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really excited to speak with you and appreciate you taking the time. For listeners who may be unfamiliar with Fervo Energy, could you please give a high-level overview of its current work streams as well as your current role with the organization? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. So Fervo Energy is a next-generation geothermal developer and we're taking proven oil and gas technology and leveraging it to produce 24-7 around-the-clock clean energy. And namely, we're, we're using horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracking, the two techniques that really unlock the shale revolution in North American oil and gas. And we're applying those to geothermal. As a really quick primer, geothermal needs three factors to work. It needs heat, it needs fluid, and permeable rock. In a place like Iceland, you can find those three factors naturally, but in most of the U.S., you can't. And so to make geothermal a truly scalable resource, you need to introduce some of those factors artificially. Geothermal 1.0 was introducing water, fluid, artificially, and looking for hot rock that had high permeability, natural fractures. Problem is that's still geographically constrained and natural fractures are hard to model and hard to control. So you have a lot of unreliable, uneconomic projects. Fervo is saying, we're not just going to introduce fluid artificially. We're going to create the permeability artificially. We're going to create the fracture network ourselves. And so now all we have to do is look for hot rock. Hot rock is everywhere at varying depths. And it really changes the potential of the resource base. And it, it relieves us of those typical location constraints that geothermal faced. We've demonstrated this technology through a commercial pilot with Google last year. And we're now off to the races deploying this technology at scale uh, at a 400 megawatt project in Southwest Utah. My role specifically is chief of staff for Fervo. So I wear a variety of hats. I think the best way to describe it is managing special strategic projects for the company. That has changed quarter to quarter dramatically. Sometimes I'm looking at our Inflation Reduction Act tax credit strategy. Other times I'm looking at labor efforts, labor engagement. Currently, I'm looking at efforts to reduce our service facilities costs. So it's kind of whatever the hot topic is from our management team, it's, it's normally what I'm trying to dig into. Very cool. And as you were mentioning, until recently, geothermal accounted for less than 1% of global renewables being used due in part to how difficult 
it was to find the perfect geological conditions needed to source it. However, now with this new technology, those geological conditions are no longer constrained, as you rightly pointed out, and would love to hear your perspective on what the potential is of carbon-free geothermal energy now in its unconstrained form, as well as where you see the market going in the next 5, 10, and 20 years. You're right to point out how small of a percentage geothermal currently occupies in the global energy mix. I think fortunately, when you look at updated resource estimates, you realize that the energy potential of geothermal is actually huge as long as we devote serious attention and capital to unlocking it. Latest estimates from NREL that were published last year show upwards of 320 gigawatts of geothermal potential in the U.S. alone at shallower than four kilometers of depth. So that's geothermal resource that you can access with existing drilling technology. And so there's no reason why we can't tap into this resource. And there's no reason why we shouldn't tap into this resource. This gets to the second part of your question on market trends. What we're seeing in especially the Western US, where you've seen more rapid solar proliferation on the grid, are increasing reliability concerns. Solar is an intermittent resource. Wind is an intermittent resource. And as you add more and more intermittent resources to the grid and you retire coal plants in parallel, you are losing that firm power that provides stability in cases of peak demand or spikes in demand. And those are challenges that California in particular has faced. So in 2021, the California Public Utility Commission issued a midterm reliability mandate, which essentially told utilities, you need to procure a thousand megawatts of clean, firm power between now and 2026. They've since extended that deadline to 2028. But the real point is that reliability became such a challenge that the commission mandated specific types of procurement from utilities. And the only resources that meet that clean and firm mandate are hydropower, nuclear, and geothermal. When you go through those resources, hydropower, that's a declining resource, especially in the West, where you see increasing drought. Nuclear permitting is so significant and construction costs are so high that you're not going to build a new nuclear plant between now and 2028. And so that left utilities with just geothermal. In effect, the midterm reliability mandate became a geothermal procurement mandate. Now, that's just California, but I think California is representative of what other states in the Western US and then other countries around the world are going to start to do. They're going to start with the easy renewable build out that's solar and wind, those are cheaper. And then they're going to say, well, wait, we can't just prioritize cleanliness. We have to also prioritize reliability and affordability. And so we need to bring geothermal on in parallel. I think the market growth is pretty massive in the US. Again, like I said, we think this can be 300 plus gigawatt market in the next, call it 30 years. 
And Fervo's own goal is to have a gigawatt of power online or under development by 2030. Can you walk us through how the economics of geothermal compare with other energy sources? And additionally, how the Inflation Reduction Act plays into these economics moving forward? Geothermal is already competitive on a cost basis to nuclear, to coal, increasingly natural gas. The cost drivers are coming from the two sides of the business that define a geothermal project. In a way, you can think of geothermal development as two types of projects rolled into one. You have your drilling operations, which in Furbo's case looks identical to upstream oil and gas. So drilling and completions, we are fracking these wells. And then you have your service facilities. So the power plant and the interconnection to get power to the grid. And we see that as generally an even split on the cost front. We're actually seeing rapid learning on the drilling side. So the subsurface costs are coming down. And that means that surface facilities are accounting for a larger portion of cost. But overall, when you take this project holistically, you're looking at a competitive resource just given the high capacity factor. Our resource is going to have a 90 plus percent capacity factor. And you can't find that in a solar or a wind, even when you add storage to the mix. And we've noticed in our conversations with utilities and prospective customers, there's a really high willingness to pay for contracts that can ensure both clean and high capacity factor power. People, I think, are still used to this paradigm of 40 to $50 a megawatt hour of solar. And that's great. That's the solar side. But that's not a complete energy portfolio that a utility would maintain. They're willing to pay double that, in some cases, more than double, because they know that reliability also needs to be met. You also mentioned the IRA, so I, I will quickly chime in there. Great. IRA has been helpful for the geothermal industry because it provides us secure access to the investment tax credit and the production tax credit. Prior to the IRA, Fervo and the geothermal industry had access to those credits, but those credits lapsed on an annual basis. That made it very difficult to raise project level finance because we could not go to a project level investor and say, underwrite this project with an assumption of 10% ITC because we didn't know if the ITC was going to be around the next year to get reapproved for the geothermal industry. The IRA locks that in for a 10-year period. That allows us to come down the cost curve with the support of federal tax credits. And thankfully, with the transferability that IRA has enabled, we don't have to enter into a very legally cumbersome tax equity partnership. We can instead sell our credits to any number of buyers, whether that's a financial institution, whether that's a corporate partner, or even some creative 
entities and developers that are now entering the tax credit transfer space. And you mentioned that Fervo is currently building out a pretty significantly sized project. I think you said 300 megawatts? Uh, 400. 400. Could you walk us through what the process looks like for creating a project of that magnitude and who the customers are, as well as the financiers, just to get some context into the market landscape within the geothermal space. 400 megawatt project is a huge undertaking for a company at our stage, and it's going to be the second largest geothermal project ever built after the geysers in California. It began, of course, with selecting the location for the project. And we got very lucky in the acreage we acquired in Southwest Utah. Our project is called Cape Station. It's located right next to the Department of Energy's Forge project. That's the DOE's partnership with the University of Utah to do actual field testing of enhanced geothermal. So directional drilling and hydraulic fracking. We are right next to that acreage and we can leverage all of the subsurface data that Forge has already collected and use that to inform our models at Cape. So that's a huge win for us. Number two, we have available transmission right near the Cape Station project. And so we can get this power to market. And three, Utah has existing oil and gas supply chains. The eastern part of the state in the Uinta Basin has a long history of oil and gas development. It makes it easier for us to access the right vendors, contractors, subcontractors that we need to ensure safe and reliable operations. So that's where it all began. Now we're in drilling phase. We've drilled six wells out in Utah. By the time this podcast comes out, Fervo will have published the drilling results from those first six wells. And we're really excited about that because you see a significant cost decline over these six wells drilled. It validates the learning curve that we had always believed as a company that you saw in shale and that we have thought can apply to geothermal. When you're not worried about geographic constraints in Fervo's approach to geothermal development, you can drill well after well after well in the same location and tapping into learning curves that bring down costs. And we're already starting to see that. We're going to keep drilling these wells. And later this year, we're going to begin work on the surface facilities. So starting to move dirt and lay foundations for the three turbines that are going to support the first phase of the project. It's a 90 megawatt phase one of this broader project. So we're going to bring 90 megawatts online by the middle of 2026. And then the remainder of those 400 megawatts will come online midway through 2028. And to your question about offtake, we're selling this power into California. It gets back to that midterm reliability mandate I mentioned earlier from the Utility Commission. Utilities in California need to procure geothermal. And we found immense demand for geothermal when we were looking to sell megawatts from our Utah project. So right now, we've signed a handful of PPAs with community choice aggregators throughout the state of California 
and we're benefiting from that transmission access to get that power to market. Amazing. What did the process look like? Did you have to sign the PPAs prior to purchasing the land and getting approval from the permits? Could you walk us through the timelines required to build such a massive undertaking? We signed PPAs last year in 2022. That was prior to beginning our drilling operations at Cape. We didn't want to begin development without knowing that we had an off-taker lined up, especially when we went to raise financing for the project. Now, important caveat, this is our first full utility-scale project and the market is treating it as such. So we can't raise traditional project-level finance. We can raise corporate equity, which is right now how we're financing CAPE. But in order to even raise corporate equity, where there's higher risk tolerance, we did need to show that we had offtake secured for the CAPE project. So we signed two PPAs with different community choice aggregators. That gave us the confidence as a company and the confidence of our investors to begin drilling in June of last year. Then we advanced commercial negotiations with an investor utility in California later in 2023. And that deal should be public later this year. The only point I'll make on financing, you had mentioned it earlier, we want to move to a point where we're not just dependent on corporate equity to finance these very capital-intensive projects. And we think that we are nearing that point. Our goal is in the second half of this year to sell down project-level equity in Cape Phase 1 and use the proceeds from that sell down to finance the rest of, of, to cover the rest of the CapEx for that first chunk of the project. We're also in conversation with the LPO, which has been an incredibly vital resource for many clean energy developers. And, and we're hoping some of that funding comes our way. Super exciting. Wow. It seems like this project is sort of a pioneer project in the geothermal space in the US. And it's really incredible that Fervo is helping to lead the way. And I'm sure people will very much appreciate the important work that Fervo is engaged in here. Would love to hear your thoughts on what are the main barriers within the field. It seems like from a technology standpoint, there's a lot of value that geothermal provides, which other renewables might not necessarily provide. And the costs are coming down. You did mention that the financing currently is not readily available. Could you expand on that? And in addition, are there any other potential barriers that are particularly pertinent in the geothermal space right now? I think that financing is the biggest barrier and it exists on two fronts. There's private markets, private capital, and then government funding. And I think Fervo and geothermal are disadvantaged on both fronts. On the government side, geothermal gets a fraction of federal funding compared to other clean energy technologies and climate solutions. If you look at money allocated to hydrogen and money allocated toward direct air capture, 
that's in the billions of dollars. If you look at money allocated toward geothermal, it's around $100 million for the entire geothermal technologies office. So we're talking orders of magnitude difference. And with just a little bit more support from the federal government, we could have massive impact in the speed and scale at which we deploy geothermal. That's the first barrier. The second on private capital, this is less a unique geothermal challenge and it's more of a first-of-a-kind climate financing challenge that other companies face. It's really hard to cross that valley of death and Furbo has experienced it firsthand. We know other companies that have as well at that stage where you don't want to take on more venture capital because the cost of capital is so high, but the project finance community doesn't yet consider you de-risked enough. That's the phase we're in. And again, challenge to geothermal, but also challenge to other climate technologies. I'd say maybe geothermal has a bit harder of a time because there's such stigma against the industry from past geothermal companies that have failed. We've had project finance teams tell us point blank, hey, when when I entered the project finance industry, the first thing my boss told me was don't invest in a geothermal project. So that's the type of stigma that we're going up against. And the last barrier I'll touch on, again, not as specific to geothermal, we face it, but other renewables face it, is interconnection and transmission. Most of our resources are in rural locations in the Mountain West. Right now, we're seeing a ton of demand from California, from cities in the Pacific Northwest. And we need to be able to get that power to the end customer. And with interconnection queues being seven years long in some instances, it prevents us from developing these projects as quickly as we'd like. Thank you so much, Gabe. I feel like I'm so much more knowledgeable about the geothermal space just after talking with you for 20, 25 minutes. Really appreciate all of your insight. Would like to conclude with one final question. Given that you have managed to already make an impact in the climate field and are the chief of staff at what appears to be a really cutting edge pioneering company in the geothermal space, would love to hear your thoughts on any career advice that you have for younger professionals who are looking to enter the climate field. And if you could just give any advice reflecting through the lens of your own experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate the question. And certainly like there's way more to do in climate. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I've even scratched the surface in my own trajectory. And I might actually steal some advice from my boss, Tim Latimer, who's the CEO of Virgo, because I think it's great advice. And that's on not being afraid to dig into the weeds of an issue. I think right now, when I talk to younger people, college students that are interested in pursuing careers in the climate space, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for high-level 
ideas within climate. People can get really excited about clean energy and really excited about net zero commitments. And those sound nice and they're easy to understand. But real change is happening deep in the weeds. A company like Fervo comes to be because Tim and our co-founder, Jack Norbeck, had this deep background in oil and gas drilling and subsurface modeling. And they realized that nobody else had thought to apply that oil and gas knowledge to geothermal. They saw the window and they seized it. And I think you can't, you can't really see those windows of opportunity unless you have that detailed information at your disposal to say, Hey, nobody's, nobody's thinking about applying this technology in this specific way. So my piece of advice is try to go layer deeper. Don't just stick with the net zero by 2050 messaging or net zero plan by this date. Actually, understand a specific sector, understand where their emissions are coming from, and look for creative ways to change those practices. Thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Check out the episode description or show notes for more information on our guest. See you next time.
I think fortunately, when you look at updated resource estimates, you realize that the energy potential of geothermal is actually huge as long as we devote serious attention and capital to unlocking it. 